This episode of The Transmission is brought to you by Audible.com, the leader in spoken word entertainment. Get a free audiobook download of your choice when you sign up today. For details, go to audiblepodcast.com slash transmission. The Transmission, episode 61, May 3rd, 2009. Your mother is another. You met her, actually, when the island was skipping back in 1954. You guys were in 1954? Like... Fonzie times? Aloha from the Island Lost fans. You are tuned into the transmission. This is a podcast devoted to the show Lost on ABC. I'm Jen. And I'm Ryan. And we're here to discuss the latest episode of Lost, The Variable. And here's how we're going to break it down. We'll recap the episode in eight minutes or less. Then we're going to share our thoughts in greater detail. We hear from you all, everybody, in our feedback segment. And finally, we'll step briefly into the forward cabin for a look ahead. So you ready? Let's get lost. Okay, so episode 14 of season 5, The Variable. We actually stepped through three different worlds here. Let's start in the present. Desmond is rushed to the hospital as Penny and Charlie wait. Mrs. Hawking shows up and says that it's her son's fault that Desmond was shot. Daniel Faraday is the one who sent Desmond to L.A. Mrs. Hawking says Penny's husband is a casualty in a conflict that's bigger than him. Penny asks what she means by that and if Desmond's going to be okay. Hawking says, I don't know. For the first time in a long time, I don't know what's going to happen next. A nurse calls Penny in to see Desmond, who says he promised her that he'd never leave her again. And they kiss. Meanwhile, outside, Charles Woodmore asks Mrs. Hawking about Desmond. She tells him to say hello to his daughter. He says he had to sacrifice his relationship with Penny. Mrs. Hawking says, don't tell me about sacrifice. I had to send my son back to the island knowing full well something. Whitmore says he was his son, too. She slaps him. Then to the flashback for Faraday. Young Faraday is playing the piano when young-ish mom, Eloise, comes in. She explains that his special gift must be nurtured and that his destiny is with science and mathematics. She says, it's my job to keep you on your path. No more time for distractions. He says, I can make time, but she replies, if only you could. Years later, Faraday uh, graduates from Oxford. He tries to introduce his mother to his girlfriend, Teresa, but Mrs. Hawking snubs her and tells them he's taking him out to lunch. Mrs. Hawking says he has to focus on his research and has no time for relationships. He asks what else he has to do after getting a doctorate from Oxford and getting a 1.5 million pound research grant. She asks who gave him the grant and he says it was an industrialist named Charles Widmore. She gives him a present and wishes him good luck. He opens the present and it's a notebook with the inscription, no matter what happens, I will always love you. We again see the scene of Faraday crying at the news report of the plane wreckage at the bottom of the ocean. Charles Widmore arrives. Faraday explains he has a memory condition and doesn't remember him, but Widmore says they've never met. He realizes Widmore funded his research and apologizes. Faraday says that he tested it on himself first and that he didn't mean to hurt Teresa. Widmore says he's come to offer Faraday a new opportunity, but Faraday is distracted by the newscast and doesn't know why. Widmore says that the plane was in a 
elaborate, expensive fake that he planted. He explains that the real Flight 815 crashed on an island with unique properties, and he wants Faraday to go there and further his research. He says the island will also heal his mind and memory. Widmore says Faraday has tremendous gifts, and Faraday says he sounds like his mom. Widmore says we're old friends. Faraday is trying to play the piano again when his mother shows up again. She says that he should say yes to Mr. Widmore. She says the island could make him better and tells him to think of everything he could accomplish. He asks her if it will make her proud of him, and she says it will, so he says he'll do it. On the island in the past, Faraday returns on the sub, and when Miles asks why, he shows him the photo of everyone among the Dharma recruits and asks to see Jack. He asks Jack why he came back, and Jack says Daniel's mother told him it was his destiny. Faraday says... I got some bad news for you, Jack. You don't belong here at all. She was wrong. Faraday goes to the Orchid and tells Dr. Chang to order the evacuation of the island. He says the electromagnetic activity at the Swan is 30,000 times more powerful than that the Orchid, and that in six hours there's going to be a catastrophic accident. Dr. Chang says that's absurd and asks how Faraday is qualified to make that prediction. Faraday says, I'm from the future. He asks him to read his journal as proof, and he tells Dr. Chang that Miles is his son. Dr. Dr. Chang asks Miles if that's true, but Miles says no. Dr. Chang tells Faraday to stay away from him. Miles asks what Faraday is doing, and Faraday says, making sure your father does what he's supposed to do. Jack goes to Sawyer and tells him that Faraday is back. Sawyer tells Jack that Phil knows that he and Kate took Ben and has him in the closet. Sawyer tells everyone that the party's over and that they can take the sub and leave the island or just go back into the jungle and start from square one. Faraday arrives and asks where the hostiles are because one of them is his mother and she is the only person who can get them back to where they belong. Jack says that Kate knows where they are. Juliet tells Kate the code to the security fence. Jack, Kate, and Faraday leave, and Sawyer tells everyone to pack. Kate says that they should have guns, and Jack says he has the keys to the gun safe, since he's a janitor. Meanwhile, Faraday goes to see young Charlotte, and he tells her that she and her mother have to leave the island. He says he tried to avoid telling her because he thought he couldn't change things, but maybe he can. Rudzinski runs into them at the motor pool and sees that Faraday has a gun. They begin shooting at each other, and Faraday and Rudzinski are in Injured. Jack, Kate, and Faraday jump into a jeep and take off. Rosinski says to sound the alarm. Back at Othersville, Sawyer and Juliet are packing, and Sawyer tells Juliet that she was right when she said it was all over. The alarm sounds, and Rosinski shows up, saying that they've been infiltrated by the new recruits. He hears Phil in the closet and finds him tied up, and he orders Sawyer and Juliet down on the ground. At the sonic fence, Jack tends to Faraday's wound. Faraday says he must be lucky. Jack says, I thought you said whatever happened, happened. Faraday explains, this is our present. We can't be so naive to think nothing will happen to us. Any of us can die, Jack. Jack asks Faraday why he said his mother was wrong. Faraday explains that the accident at the Swan in four hours will start the entire chain of events, from the hatch to the button to the crash to the freighter, and he says that he always believed that you can't change the past, but they can. He says they, people, are variables with reason and free will, and that they can change their destiny. He says he thinks he can negate or destroy the energy under the swan, and if so, the hatch will never be built, and Oceanic Flight A-15 will land in L.A. like it's supposed to. Kate asks how he plans to destroy that energy, and Faraday says, I'm going to detonate a hydrogen bomb. Kate tells Jack that it's a mistake to erase everything, that it's insane, but Jack says he's getting used to insane. They reach the hostiles' camp, and Daniel barges in, demanding to speak to Eloise. 
Albert says she's not there and asks Faraday if they know each other. Faraday says it doesn't matter and asks where the bomb is. Suddenly, Faraday is shot by Eloise. Faraday looks up at her and says, You knew this was going to happen. You sent me here anyway. She asks, Who are you? Faraday says, I'm your son and dies. And, and thud. thud. And that is the variable in under eight minutes. And we'll take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll break it down in greater detail. We can't wait to share our thoughts on the variable and get to your thoughts in You All Everybody. But first, we wanted to let you know that today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the leading provider in spoken word entertainment. Audible has over 50,000 titles to choose from that you can download onto your computer and play on an MP3 player or however you want to listen to it, just like the transmission. Thanks to Audible.com, you can get a free audiobook download of your choice when you sign up today. Now, if you've always wanted to read the many books mentioned on Lost, Audible.com is a great way to go. For example, you can pick up Evil Under the Sun by Agatha Christie. It's the unabridged edition, and it's narrated by David Suchet, who actually played Poirot on the uh, public television uh, series Mystery. It's a classic whodunit story, a pretty typical Agatha Christie novel. Sawyer is reading it when Nikki comes up and asks him for a gun in the expose episode. Mm, Love that episode. The story (laughs) revolves around a dead body that isn't really dead, which is kind of like Nikki. Also, a member of the freighter mercenary team was named Red Fern, named after a character in this book. So you can make it your free pick with this offer. Just go to audiblepodcast.com slash transmission. That's audiblepodcast.com slash transmission. All right, Jen. So we had to wait two weeks for this episode, The Variable. And uh, well, was it worth it? How'd you like the episode? I don't know if I liked it. I think well, I liked it. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm confused. There are so many plot threads dangling right now there's the question of the bomb there's a question of if he's dead here can he be alive there there's so much happening and i'm really confused well i mean if this if the measure of a successful lost episode is the size of your headache afterward then this is a successful episode on that grounds i mean if you're into the science of the science fiction if you're into the mythology the uh, of if you're into the time travel then this was your episode and i i know a lot of people loved it certainly um for those reasons i can see there's a lot to chew on a lot to discuss and we certainly will especially in you all everybody but it was also a character episode it was an exploration of a character we all like a character we really wanted to get to know better and i'm not sure if on that level you know daniel faraday was given the the coverage he deserved given the story he deserved it seemed rushed it seemed kind of he seemed really out of character in a number of different ways and uh, because i was more disoriented by the way he was behaving and how quickly they were flying through everything that was going on i really couldn't appreciate it i didn't have the level of depth that I was expecting. But I think really key is, you know, the overall questions are, is he dead or not? And can you undo the past? Let's start with that first question. Do you think Faraday is dead after this episode? Yeah, I I think so. I mean, I don't want him to be dead. I don't either. But, but I think that if we, they pull another Ben this close to when they pulled the Ben, I'd actually be upset. I was actually already saying I would be upset if Ben wasn't dead when he got shot in the chest, when a uh-huh. small child gets shot in the chest and still somehow survives. Um, if here we are, I think, given enough time after he's shot to see his you know eyes go glassy and him to fall still and they're saying he's dead, I, I'm pretty sure he's dead. But it's, all, it's also a death, I think, that is very frustrating because Lost has done this to us before, which 
which is they in the same episode where they show us that this side character might have a bigger role to play in the overall story of Lost, i.e. Libby, that same episode is the episode where he is killed. Right. And we know that actually now we're not going to get those answers from him. I mean, I suppose he lives his no- leaves his notebook behind and that's going to be his legacy. But as far as character goes, it is as abrupt and unexpected as, uh, say, losing Caesar earlier this season right. where you're building up interest in him and then that's it. He's gone with a gunshot. And I think that maybe that's their point. Maybe they're trying to say life is uneven and uh, you know messy, that there's going to be loose threads. These are the stakes and people are going to disappear like that. But you know, Faraday's been with us for a while, and if this is his final act, if this is going to be the end of his story, it's a little unsatisfying. I, I really was expecting a little bit more out of that. I was completely unsatisfied, too, especially because he was the guy who was saying, you can't change the past. Whatever happened, happened. And he's trying to change the past, and I we are not given enough to illustrate what caused his change of heart oh definitely definitely i mean um that's one thing that i think is key to this episode and one thing that might save it is that you know certainly everything that we've been operating under up until this point is faraday's thesis that you can't change the past and he comes back after being missing for a while uh just like a madman a wild you know totally committed to the prospect that you can change the past. Why would he come back after a long absence and suddenly be of a completely opposite opinion? Is seeing um, our losties back in the 70s in that picture enough to change his mind when he's at Ann Arbor? Maybe there's a big piece of that story that we've yet to see, and maybe that's more of the Faraday story that we could get, but I can certainly see how that's disorienting. The only way that it might redeem itself, this change of heart, is that we all see it as a frantic last last gasp, a frantic futile effort to do what he's saying he wants to do and in fact we're going to see it as proof that he was wrong because after all he goes to see uh, Charlotte and Uh tells Charlotte what he says he was never going to tell Charlotte and everything from Ben being shot by Saeed to other actions being taken by our losties we've seen time and time again that even though there are people making choices that these choices are still fulfilling sort of the prophecy they're Mm -hmm. still making things happen that always happen right down to I mean we have to remember how brilliant we felt it was when it was Kate bringing Ben uh, to the others to be revived that made Ben the reborn evil or dangerous person that he was all along, right? That that's how things came about. That's how Ben became the way he was because it seemed like the spontaneous decision on the part of our losties uh, set all of that into motion. So if that's the thesis of this episode, uh, Faraday really tried one last time to change things and he was wrong, then maybe I can live with that. I mean, it sounds like we're both on the same boat, though, that coming out of this episode, despite the fact that he has a plan to change the future, you don't think that he's going to change the future. If they do change the future, if the swan doesn't get built, if they don't have to push the button every 108 minutes and the plane lands in L.A. like it's supposed to, that negates the entire thing that we've been watching for five years. Right. And if they you know, if they don't change the future, what is the point of bringing up the bomb exactly? What is the point of all this if they don't? Well, uh, first of all, I'll say that the fact that they could basically erase the last five years of episodes that we've watched, basically all of our analysis and, you know, careful consideration up until this point, the fact that that's the likely outcome of them changing the future, that's the number one piece of evidence I have that they're not going to, or at least the number one thing I'm clinging to the hope that they're not going to undo everything. Because really, that's the Dallas, it was all a dream. That's the St. Elsewhere, it was all a little boy. It was the... 
It's the uh-huh. snow globe comment. It's the thing that they've been teasing us with <laughs> throughout the series, and right down to uh, Jack saying, "You know, I'm getting used to insane." Like they're they're clearly saying that they realize how absurd the prospect of undoing everything could be. So I can only hope that means that they're not going to do it. But your other point is very key, which is if they're not going to cause things to happen, then why introduce a bomb that's not going to blow up? But I think that's not necessarily true. A couple of ways that could go. One, you know, there's that there's a cliche in drama. There's a cliche in writing that you don't introduce a bomb in Act One if it's not going to blow up in Act Three. Right. So I could say, well, maybe the Lost Creators are being so creative and so dastardly that that's exactly what they're going to do. They're going to have a countdown to Jughead going off, and then nothing, crickets, and everybody sort of goes about their day. And I mean, that would completely upset us but in a way that's blowing our minds and hopefully in a more clever way than it's say, the blowing end of... your mind it's just upsetting me i suppose i mean but not as bad as say the end of the of sopranos or something like that i can see that that could be one way they're going the other way to go is that jughead does go off but jughead going off has still been factored into the timeline that created the world that we know that jughead going off um puts other things into motion. It doesn't stop the swan from being built as thought. It does something else. And, you know, that kind of a big release of energy in an, in an island as mysterious as this one with the magnetic properties and the smoke monster, anything can happen if a hydrogen bomb goes off. So I think it's possible that the bomb goes off even if, in other words, that Faraday's plan still goes through, but it still does not manage to erase everything forward uh, back to September 22nd, 2004. At least I hope so. So again, I mean, I think this is what you would call a a bridge episode, kind of not a filler episode, a bridge episode, a setup episode. They're showing us the stakes. They're putting every all the pieces in their place as they do before every, you know, season finale, don't you think? Well, yeah, I mean, we see Jack and he has a plan and Sawyer and Juliet are, are in serious trouble. There's an incident coming up. Yeah, I can I can see that. Yeah, I mean, once again, our heroes are separated. They have a common um, deadline. There's a countdown basically coming up. So uh, one, you know, really more, it seemed like a mechanical kind of placement episode and, and really, unfortunately, not a strong one as far as, as drama is concerned. But still, there's a lot of things to talk about. I mean, what do you think? Uh, Faraday's mom sent his own her own son to die. That's well, she's cold. not the most evil parent on the show ever. No, no. I mean, John Fisher, one of our friends, was really upset by the prospect that uh, she would send her own son to uh, to basically a suicide mission. But unfortunately, in the real world, you know, parents kill kids and sometimes for less noble reasons than to set the universe right. So I think that it's not unconscionable, really, that uh, Mrs. Faraday does what she does. But on the other she hand, she does seem conflicted about it. She seems absolutely conflicted about it. And she has one of the most important lines in the the entire episode, I think, when she says, for the first time in a long time, I don't know what's going to happen, which makes me suspect, wait a minute, has this happened before? Has she been weak before and stopped Faraday from doing something, stopped Faraday from fulfilling his destiny and the hope of preserving his life? And as a result of that weakness, things didn't go well. So here she's saying, okay, this is totally against, you know, my feelings as a mother, but this has to happen for the universe to be set right. I mean, I don't I don't think she, she t- it's a decision she made, took lightly. And in many ways, I think it was telegraphed by her behavior because you're watching the whole time. Why is she so cold? Why is she distant and not there in his life? And why because, is she not nice to him? Yeah, because she has to remain cold and distant in order for, for her plan to work. Or for, in fact, maybe she was trying to not be a 
factor in Faraday's entire life to some extent after a certain point because she didn't want to be responsible for what eventually happens to him. So there's a, a couple of ways to look at that. But certainly if you talk about daddy issues, being shot by your own mom before you're born is going to be a little high on that <laughs> scoreboard. And uh, was this a reveal that Charles uh, Widmore is dad? I was surprised. I mean, considering that we just found out that Chang is Miles' dad, I didn't think they'd go there again. Well, on one hand, it was something that a lot of people, I think, suspected. It was certainly a reasonable uh, theory for somebody to have. I kind of like it because if you're going to talk about mommy and daddy issues, the the actual number of mommy and daddies on the show is kind of smaller than you'd think because all of our mommies and daddies are connected to the other characters on the show. Right. I mean, we're reducing the, the number of branches on the family tree on this island in many ways that's a little frightening but i think that's intriguing in other ways too so but i, I guess this makes penny and daniel have siblings hmm. like jack and claire well possibly i mean we still don't have too much information on penny's you know parents um but if penny is widmore's uh daughter the daughter that she, that he had with the outsider and it's not eloise then yes there's another mom running around and actually that's a good parallel you know and there are many of these parallels in fact there's a very elaborate one in uh, you all everybody about how um you know faraday could in fact possibly not be mrs hawking's biological son and i'm not sure if that is anywhere near true but because of the the family issues that we've seen throughout lost just about anything is possible so I guess we have confirmation now that Widmore actually planted the wreckage in the bottom of the right. ocean. Right. And to me, that was a reveal. But for a lot of our listeners, it wasn't. And, you know, there's there's a lot of confusion about what was or was not demonstrated by Miles's conversation with the dead body on the slab right. a couple of weeks ago. Right. I thought that that scene could possibly be read as, you know, proof that Ben was responsible in the sense that he was bringing the evidence to Widmore to prove that that was what was going on. But as our last podcast demonstrated, you could also see it as uh, somebody was either, you know, uh, blackmailing Widmore or, you know, Widmore had him do it, but he needed to kill the guy because you don't want the person who helped you do or something. Or maybe he had to kill the guy because he caught him giving the evidence to Ben. Or it could be a, a, any number of these things. So uh, I thought that this was still a big reveal. It was a big reveal to me, and I know it wasn't to a lot of people, but I just naturally, for some reason, ascribed that level of evil and manipulation to Ben just because of everything we've learned about him so far. But I have to admit that Whitmore does have more ability to, to, to pull off that kind of a thing. Right. I mean, certainly when you think a bunch of mass graves and bodies at the bottom of the ocean, I don't know why I thought Ben, but no, okay, Whitmore too. And so we're learning that both sides of this big fight between Ben and Whitmore, at least, uh, neither of them are particularly saintly in character. I like that, uh, you know, to me, the fact that Faraday ends up with a memory condition uh, after he conducts his experiments was a little kind of awkwardly thrown in there. Like, oh, I'm not sure if we've met. I mean, all of a sudden, it, I thought we were watching Memento or something. Right. But it reminded me that, well, they did give us that hint because the very first time we ever meet Faraday when he comes off the Yeah, freighter, Charlotte is giving him a test with the playing cards. Yeah, she says, see if you can remember. That's very good, Daniel. You're doing better. So right there, I mean, apparently very soon upon r arriving at the island um completely mentally scrambled uh, faraday is in better and better perfect health and he can remember those cards so in a way that kind of connection was nice to see this episode had a bit of a skater moment i think if you're into that sort yeah, of yeah in the scene where sawyer is telling everybody that they have two choices and, and what the what the outcomes are going to be of each and what they need to do um he slips and he calls kate freckles mm. 
and immediately you can see Juliet and she has this look on her face like "Uh uh-huh yeah that's how it's gonna do that's what's gonna happen and so she she retaliates a little little bit I think by giving Kate the code to the sonic fence right I mean because right before that you know uh, Sawyer's trying to get Kate not to go along with that plan but once uh, Juliet sees that moment I, I really feel that that's why she goes okay well here's the code you go off and have your fun yeah so I I def I mean I'm not a skater jader uh, whatever and I do like you know Sawyer and Juliet but for those who were really hoping for the original love triangle to re- rear its ugly head here in the episode I think this is definitely a clue that that could possibly happen well speaking of Jack um it it seems like now it wasn't an accident that he ended up a janitor. Oh, uh, definitely. And we had a, a listener whose theory was that, that that Sawyer wouldn't make him a janitor just to be mean, that he must have had a, a greater plan in mind. And here you go. Good thing I'm a janitor then. I've got the keys to the gun safe. I'm not sure if that was Sawyer's intention, but I definitely think that from a writer's point of view, if you're beginning to wonder when is Jack's activation, when is he going to start having the gears turn into This is it. This has happened, it. yeah. He He's on. He's been activated by his fate, his calling on the island, and it's coming. Well, it's Jack's moment now, but what about Kate's moment? Oh, my Lord. What was that all about? I don't know. See, Jack does that. That's the thing about Jack. He loves pointing out to Kate her own faults, and he loves making her feel stupid a little bit, I think. So when he's telling her, this is not your moment, this is like Jack twisting the knife a little bit again. I guess. My problem with that little speech is that it seemed very out of place. It was, you know, forgive me for loving this word lately, anvilicious. It was just (laughs) written too much on the nose, you know, foreshadowing 101 that, uh, hey, you know, our characters don't know what Kate's story is. I mean, I guess we know yeah, that she's there. But she's never told Jack. She refuses to tell Jack. And... and so, yes, don't forget, her mission is coming up. Just like we don't know why Hurley is there or what brought Hurley back to the island necessarily. Uh-huh. But, of course, we also saw him briefly in this episode with that mysterious car, uh, guitar case. You know, There the... better be something good in that guitar yes, case. <laughs> whatever. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, not a subtle hint that uh, there's more surprises to come in ahead. So, so I just felt that was a little too much there. One of my favorite lines in the episode is in the scene where Daniel is a young boy and he's playing piano and he says to his mother, I can make time. I mm. thought it was a really provocative and interesting line. Well, absolutely. I mean, uh, one of our listeners also noted all of the other mentions of time in this episode. I mean, there's the scene where he's waiting at the orchid for um, Dr. Chang, Chang to show yeah. up. And he says... Right on time. Exactly. That uh, he knew, it seemed right down to the minute when Dr. Chang was going to make his arrival there. Actually, that does make me question what it is they're trying to say about Faraday in that respect. I mean, he already knows down to the hour, you know, eight hours, four hours from now, the incident is going to happen. So he has this great knowledge of what's coming uh, coming up. But with the Dr. Chang arrival, it seemed that he even knew down to the minute when that was going to happen. So how would he be aware of that? How could that all be going on? Was that all in his notebook or something? Yeah, he's already done it. He's already written it all down, I guess. I guess. I mean, what happened again in Ann Arbor? What did he pick up? And how could he research what is the past? to him when it's the future to everybody in Ann Arbor but uh, I guess this is probably where those headaches come from I think one of my favorite all time nicknames was was this week Twitchy ah well yeah it was so concise and so catchy and so on the nose well it definitely uh, fits uh, Faraday quite well he also called him H.G. Wells so (laughs) you know he's certainly got a a sense for what 
everyone's obsessing about as well. There were a lot of fun lines in this episode. Oh, yeah. Miles, I figured you gotten rich inventing the DVD. <laughs> right. Which is what anyone else would do or maybe bet on the horses. And Hurley, of course, saying, hey, you guys were in 1954, like Fonzie time. So that's true. While, uh, the, you know, it, it, it's, it's neat to be reminded of uh, the different time periods that they're traversing through or coexisting with. But I can also see for those who are into the story for Lost and not so much for time travel and cutesy lines that, you know, this stuff better not expand beyond the end of season five. I, I really think this time travel stuff is going to be what ends with the season finale this year. I, I hope so, because it's really twisting my brain in a huge knot. We also had a, a little music in this episode. Well, Sandy in L.A. wrote an interesting um, comment on the blog. She writes, the song Daniel was playing on the piano is I'm Always Chasing Rainbows. It has a sweet, subtly complex melody and lyrics that certainly provide a most poignant coda for Daniel. And you can see, um, read the lyrics on our blog. Yeah, I mean, uh, you check it out. It's very bittersweet. And it certainly sounds a little bit like uh, Faraday's life, chasing things that he can't get, you know, always looking to the sky. But, you know, a nice touch there. And uh, I guess to wrap things up, we had some locations to report on or that we saw. Of course, Oxford was once again in this episode, St. Andrew's Cathedral. That's downtown. Um, uh, always a nice location. Now, the restaurant where Faraday's mother took him, I guess it was supposed to be an Indian restaurant, but it's actually Grand Cafe and Bakery on Bethel Street. Oh, is it? Yeah, okay. that's across the street from Mesa, my favorite dim sum restaurant. And it's not an Indian restaurant. It's a bakery with some decent um, bakery items. Now, the one that vexed me, the one that I couldn't identify was what was shown on screen as the Marina Medical Center. And I I went through my mental list of all the hospitals on the island. I said, I cannot figure out what hospital that it is, but it turns out that it wasn't a hospital at all. Listener Buzz writes, it was 215 North King Street across from Aala Park. It was filmed on the night of Friday, February 27th, and that week was particularly cool and windy, and you could really tell in the face-slapping scene. So there you go. I love our listeners. They always have the answers to the questions that we have, and certainly we have many more answers and questions from listeners coming right up. Well, Take a quick break and then we'll hear from you all, everybody. Well, you've heard our thoughts, and now it's time to hear some of yours. You cover everything from Jughead to that strange nurse to whatever happened to that Comic-Con video. We have three calls from Jeff, Anthony, and Daniel. Hello, Ryan and Jen. I'm going to keep this short. But I did want to comment about the best episode of Season 5 we've had yet. I love the variable. Um, we got some great reveals about Whitmore and the plane, and also about Ellie and Charles being the uh, father and mother of Faraday. At least that's how it came off. Um, but I thought that was great. But I liked um, how well Jeremy Davies pulled off this episode. And not only the flashbacks and to see his emotions, but to be able to see how determined he was and he knew his purpose there while he was on the island when he came back. I love that. And I also love that scene where he was with Charlotte. Even though he, he told her that he said he'd never do that, um, he knew um, that he could never stay away. And I love, I love that episode between Charlotte and Faraday. Um, other than that, I, I think that... Uh, what more can I say? The episode was awesome, and I can't wait to see how they're going to mix everything up within the next couple of episodes before they get to the finale. So I can't wait, and um, I will talk to you two later. Hey, Ryan and Jen. This is Anthony and Philly. Um, call once again. 
Just got done watching the variable, and holy freaking crap. All right, let's just say that, that for one, I don't think anyone was ever expecting Barry of all people to get shot. I mean, wow. Just, just wow. Now, I don't think he's going to die because, you know, he's with the others. He's actually in their camp, and you know how they are with, with healing shots to the chest. Yeah, I don't think he's dead, but I think he's going to be out of commission to the point where he's not actually able to go on, on any missions for a while. Like he, we, we, we might not see him actually walk around until maybe a few episodes into the next season. So I don't think Faraday's dead. I don't think he's going to be able to do anything besides maybe talk or, or lay in a coma or something. He's not dead. He's just not not a walking, talking member of the, of the crew any, for, much long, for a while. Um, sorry, I sound kind of winded and stuff. I was just so boggled by the episode. I have to try and keep quiet because everyone's sleeping. Um, yeah, just that's my thoughts. Faraday's not dead. He's just not able to walk around and stuff. All right. Yeah, guys. Hey, Jen and Ryan. It's Daniel calling from Boston. Uh, I'm going to actually borrow a phrase from John from North Carolina and give this episode a double uh, dose of holy freaking crap. Uh, incredible, the whole Faraday backstory. Um, the, you know, the real question that I have, though, after watching this story and the wrap-up of the Oceanic 6 story is how did Hurley get out of jail? How did Hurley get to the, um, get to the plane... What was the story that got him there? Uh, we haven't seen that, and I'm wondering if that has something to do with what's going to come in the incident. So that's an open question. Um, do you think the bomb's still going to come into play, or do you think this is simply a case of Faraday trying what ultimately isn't going to work? Um, so great job on the podcast, as always, and look forward to hearing your thoughts. Bye. Thanks for those calls. So Jeff says this is the best episode of season five. Well, I don't know about that. I mean, I'm glad he's got faith in the show. I, I'm just, I'm, you know, like I said, I'm really confused. and wondering where it's going. Yeah, I mean, I think that if you liked the mythology, this was a strong episode for you. And maybe it wasn't that bad of an episode. Okay, it was a good episode. But the best of season five, I certainly wouldn't give it that crown. But, you know, uh, you know, Jeremy Davies, I think, did pretty well in this episode. And we wanted to see more of him. And we got it, even though we also got the end of him. Now, Anthony and Philly gives us our hur- holy freaking crap. And uh, didn't, didn't expect Faraday to die. Neither I would did I. certainly agree with that. But uh, he says that he's not dead, that he's just going to be in a coma or somehow incapacitated, but he'll be around at least to convey a little bit of information. What do you think? I hope so. That would be nice because I really I really enjoy Faraday's character. Well, but again, I think that if they pulled a second bet on us, I'd actually be more upset about that. So who knows? Daniel in Boston doubling on Anthony's grade and giving it a double dose of holy freaking crap. And uh, he's curious about Hurley. I, I don't think they've wrapped up all of the Oceanic Six stories, and his is definitely the, the biggest, I think, remaining piece. They've got to do it soon, and I'm really dying of curiosity. Yeah, the guitar case is going to be big. And of course, do you think the bomb is going to come into play? I think uh, definitely one Whether- way. Whether it goes off or not, it's going to come into play. I certainly... Something is going to happen with the bomb that's going to affect everything. I think it would be really, really daring of them for nothing to happen with the bomb, but I can see how that could also cause a revolt. Well, we've got three more calls. Dieter, Denise, and Scott. Hey, Ryan and Jen. This is Dieter from Spokane, Washington. And all I've got to say is Faraday is the bomb, yo. A bomb of information, that is. He's the bomb of information that was created and set to go off on the island. I think his actions might somehow benefit Charles Woodmore in the end, but we'll see because Charles seems to have created the bomb, filled the bomb, set and placed the bomb, and let it detonate. He was a whole new light to the episode of Jughead. See, he made the bomb, well, you know, 
you know, funded research for Daniel, which led to him learning more about space-time stuff and also led to his experiments, which led to his memory problems. So by doing that, Whitmore filled the bomb with information and he rigged the bomb by delaying the release of that information. And he set and placed the bomb by putting Daniel on the freighter and sending him to the island. And on the island, it has the healing powers and it's got constant Desmond. So he's set the bomb to detonate. The bomb went boom. You know, there might not even be a need for a jughead. I think the incident and its consequences might be a consequence of that bomb going off. Let's see. Bye. Hey, guys. This is Denise from Florida. Um, I just had an observation from the last episode. Uh, when Faraday gets shot and he's saying that he's talking to his mom and he's saying that she knew all along and she knew he was, she was going to kill him. I'm your son. Um, he kind of gave that away, didn't he? If he had never said, I'm your son, you knew you were going to do this to me, you sent me here anyway, she would have never known. I don't think Elle would have remembered, or Ellie uh, would have remembered that, you know, 40, 50 years ago, however long it was, that she shot a guy. I don't think she would remember his face and realize that it looks just like her son now. So is it just me or did Faraday kind of give that away and tell her by telling him, telling her that he's her son? Um, you know, what if he hadn't told her that? What would she ever have known? I don't know. Um, but let me know what you guys think. Thanks. Hey, Ryan and Jen. Scott in Nashville here. Uh, my biggest question I love the episode. I uh, didn't really care for how they wrote the whole Faraday scene. I, I don't, don't think it's very it was a smart plan to have him charging in there, guns ablazing. Why not just go in there with your hands up and talk reasonably with the hostiles? They don't seem to be, uh, you know, very hostile people by nature. Pardon the pun, but I think he could have just walked in there with his hands up and gotten that conversation with Eloise. Anyway. Whatever was written was written. My big question is, why did Eloise send Daniel back? He accomplished absolutely nothing except getting shot. And so what happens if she doesn't send him back? The fact that she remembered shooting Daniel, which it seems like she did, so then she must also remember everything that's about to happen, and how's it going to be any different? It just becomes a big infinite loop, and nobody changes anything. If she remembers it, then Daniel always came back. He always got shot and died, and what's about to unfold always unfolded. Unless I'm missing something, uh, it just seems like if she really knew she shot him, she should have just told him not to go back and and seen if anything changes. I don't know. It's just a thought I had. It's uh, keeping me awake because it's an infinite loop, and uh, I'm going to say goodbye now. Mahalo for those calls. Well, Dieter's saying, "Hey, it's 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 Faraday. That's the bomb, and he means that in a literal sense to uh-huh. some extent. That his arrival, his information, is the great disruptive force that causes everything to unfold." I kind of like that. It's really beautiful and poetic when you think about it. Yeah, I mean, if you and it don't, doesn't bother me so much that he's dead. No. Right. If you if you one way you look at his death and you're like, "What was the point of all that?" The other way you look at his death is that it was actually key. And again, that goes back to Hawking's line about, "For the first time, I don't know what's going to happen." For the first 
first time I am allowing his him to meet the fate that I knew that he was and that uh, that incident could be uh, a game changer. So who knows? You may, I still think you know Jughead's an issue, but uh, making more out of uh, Faraday's death is certainly something I can get behind. Now, Denise from Florida uh, asking, wait a minute, uh, why did, you know, why did Faraday say, I'm your son? If Faraday hadn't said, if his last line had not been spoken before he expired, that would have changed everything. It just took him by surprise. I think he just had just figured out that his mother knew that he was coming and he was shocked that it would go, it would actually happen. Right. I mean, I had another caller, Jonathan from Washington State, who had the same you know issue, which is if he had actually died when he was shot, that would have changed the thing, changed events because his mother wouldn't live her whole life, have a child, raise a child with the knowledge that there was this scary person on the island who turns out has an uncanny resemblance to the child I'm raising and then that he's that I'm going to shoot him. So certainly fair. Um, again, I'd like to think that his death is actually more important and that's why it had to happen. Scott in Nashville, uh, he he raises a good point. What is it with Faraday just brandishing a gun? And it happened I earlier. I know oh, that really bothers me too. That was completely out of character for him. I, yeah. I mean, he, I. I I had this idea that he was a pacifist. I don't know where I got this idea, but I had this idea that he was a pacifist. And for him to barge in there without even asking any questions, without even talking to them in a, in a reasonable, logical manner, it seemed completely out Just of character. Absolutely. And it happened earlier in the episode where he's he's holding a gun, and that's what causes Radzinski to decide it's time to start a shootout. Uh-huh. Um, so, you know, it really seemed kind of strange that he was so aggro. I guess that it's, again, their point is that something happened in Ann Arbor or something happened upon his return that completely shook him, that completely rocked his world and convinced him that he has to do whatever it takes. And if that means he's going to pretend to be Rambo, then that's what he's going to do. Well, he, there's that line. He asks, is there a gun for a beginner? I mean, he's clearly not experienced with right. guns. So, yeah, in, an interesting development there. Mark from Omaha also had sort of the same observation. And a lot of people are basically asking why that had to be. It was basically he had to ramp up the tension. The writers had to ramp up the tension for him to be shot with any degree of uh, credibility. And that's right. why they did it. But I'm not quite entirely satisfied with that. And he has the same headache, I think, that everybody else does about what's going on. We now have calls from Kansas City, Ben and Mr. Jacob. Hi, this is Kansas City. And I was just calling um, comment on the latest episode of Lost, uh, The Variable. And just want to let you guys know, I thought this was one of my favorite episodes. I love Daniel. I thought they did a great job telling the story. Certainly felt a little bit rushed, but... I think that's just going to be par for the course for the rest of the series with uh, as much ground as they have to cover. Uh, my question was kind of about the, the diary that Daniel has. And also, when he sees Dr. Chang come up to the orchid, and at other points during this episode, it seems like he knows the timeline of exactly what's going to happen and uh, where exactly did he learn that. And my feeling is that after Daniel's killed, his mother takes the journal, learns all about her son, and over the coming years, she records things that have happened, like the incident, the timelines for things like that. Um, for the events that led Dr. Chang to put people on the submarine. Um, these are all things that maybe his mother remembered and put in the journal. And then at some point when Daniel was off the island for those three years in the 70s at Ann Arbor, I believe that he probably met his mother, and his mother discussed these things with him um, and told him these timelines that he would be able to go back and fulfill his destiny, which unfortunately was to die on the island. But uh, I feel like there's a piece there missing where Dan and his mother interact in the 70s Um, off the island that we might still get to see at some point and also i just i feel like this was a a great episode it's sad to see dan go but those are my thoughts on this episode thanks bye hi this is ben in portsmouth arkansas i'm walking my dog marlo and thinking about last night's episode 
And uh, I feel like uh, maybe Daniel was uh, playing Jack and Kate, trying to get them to do what they are destined to do uh, so that uh, the incident would occur and the chain of events would perpetuate. So I don't know if he's being entirely honest, but I think Daniel, I don't think Daniel knew he was going to die. And uh, also I wanted to point out uh, his remark uh, to Miles after talking to Dr. Chang was kind of peculiar that he, he said something to the effect of he just wanted to make sure that, uh, Dr. Chang did what he was supposed to do. That's all. Bye. Aloha, Ryan and Jen. This is Mr. Jacob calling to report on the variable. Um, so story and character-wise, this was a bit of a dry episode, um, but, you know, surprise, surprise, I loved it. Um, and literally half of the word science fiction is science, so, you know, we're going to need episodes like this to give us the rules. Um, you know, I can understand if some people felt it was like they were just reading from a textbook. You know, the story definitely played second fiddle to the knowledge that was being lectured. But uh, I want everyone to keep this in mind when we complain about episodes like He's Are You and The Other Woman. You know, this is the purest alternative to the character episodes that some people tend to not be uh, fans of. Um, and to our shocking ending, I say I don't believe it. You know, they did the exact same thing with Jin, uh, you know, where they... Uh, it said, you know, people, you know, dead doesn't mean dead, and, you know, people come back, and blah, 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 but we all know how that ended. So I maintain hope, as hopeless as it may be. Uh, season 5 has been amazing, and it looks like it's only going to get better. I'm happy to take this journey through it with you guys. Take care, my friends. Thanks for those calls. So our caller from Kansas City says that the journal is going to be how Daniel gets all of this foreknowledge of what's about to happen, and the person who fills it is his mom. Very interesting. I don't know. That could be one way that could happen. Um, my my problem is once we start asking about the journal and what information it has and who gives it to whom, that gives us another compass to argue about. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, another piece of property that we can't keep track of. Yet. Or that you know, because of its travels through time, you know, there how many of them are there going to be, and where where are they at, at a given point? So, but that's that's what that's interesting. Three. I thought that when, of course, when he gets the journal from his mother in the Indian restaurant. I'm pretty sure it's brand new. It's empty. No, yeah, at that there's point. nothing in there. Right. It's just her inscription. So I'm he didn't sure. get that at that point, but if it comes into his possession in Ann Arbor or if somehow he gets his own thing back over time, I'm not sure. But an interesting thought. I now I'm starting to get the headache. Ben in Portsmouth, uh out walking his dog, loved the uh, episode a lot and he thinks that uh, Faraday knew what his fate was and he's just getting them to do what they need to do. Um I don't know. He just seems so addled, you know, when we see him watching the news footage and then when we see him with Charlotte. I don't know if he has that kind of like mental preparedness to, to do that at that point. It could be, though. Right. I mean, you know, his line about getting you trying just trying to get your dad to do what he has to do. Is he just trying to get Jack and Kate to do what they have to do? Um, that's a possibility. It just seems that we're not given the impression that he has the mental acuity to pull that right. off. But, you know, maybe maybe Jack and Kate trying to mess with Jughead is all also part of the important, uh, you know, path of history. It's just that I believe he was genuinely shocked when his mother shot him. So if he was shocked about that, then uh, I don't think that's the case. I don't think he had the plan. And finally, Mr. Jacob saying that uh, this is an episode that you've got to like if you're going to complain about character episodes that don't go anywhere. Exactly. I agree. 
absolutely. But um, we're also fans of characters, so we can certainly point out where the weakness of there are. But he says that he doesn't believe that Faraday is dead. He says they did it with Jin. As we've noted, they just did it with Ben. So he's going to hold, hold, hold out hope that Faraday is still around. Yeah, but what at what point is dead dead? <laughs> if there is no dead, then what are the stakes, I guess? Right. right? I mean, you got to draw the line somewhere. Like I said, I'm pretty sure he's dead for a number of reasons, even just for the dramatic reason for him to be dead. And I would actually be kind of disappointed if he wasn't. We now have calls from Alan, Alex, and Steve. Hi, Ryan. Hi, Jen. Uh, my name is Alan. I'm from Dublin, Ireland. I listen to the podcast every week. Uh, and this week, after... Um, looking at the episode, The Variable, um, I had a major question that I was hoping that maybe uh, yourselves or any of the other listeners could help with. Um, We see Charles Widmore this week say flat out that he was behind the fake wreckage of um, Flight 815. Uh, So this kind of brought up the question for me, maybe I'm really slow and I just haven't realised, but it brought up the question, why did the Oceanic 6 lie? Uh, I mean, Whitmore knows that 815 crashed on the island. He knows there are survivors. He found the island once before. Um, I can't see any reason to suggest that he can't do it again. Uh, and I can understand from the point of view that they lied because, going back to Ben and Locke's conversation, we don't want thousands of people turning up on the island because, you know, obviously Locke is walking around when he's meant to be in a wheelchair. Obviously it would become kind of maybe like some religious mecca for people. They don't want that. But, you know, Jack seems to suggest that they're, they're lying to protect people from Whitmore. And I don't understand that because as far as I can see, he already knows <laughs> that there are survivors. So uh, if anybody can help out with that, um, or maybe I'm just being <laughs> really dumb, but uh, I'd be really grateful. Okay, thanks. Bye. Hey, Ryan and Jen, it's Alex in Boston. In terms of my thoughts about the variable, I'm finding myself musing about how the season's going to end and um, where they're going to go with next season. Um, It's very intriguing, this whole notion of Faraday stopping the incident, which would then stop the pushing of the button and would stop uh, Oceanic 815 from crashing. I mean, that's um, remarkable. And we think probably it's not going to happen, but I had sort of a crackpot theory that what if it actually does happen? Um, what if they are able to prevent the incident and sort of completely change that whole trajectory of events, and this season actually ends with them um, safely getting to their destination? I guess it was Australia they were flying to initially. Um, so that basically the uh, crash on the island doesn't happen and it's as if indeed the whole show were wiped away. I was just thinking that would be a mind-blowing way to end the season and sort of leave us with absolutely no idea uh, of what they're going to do next. Now, if they do do that, what would they do next? Well, I have no idea, which is probably why the theory's not going to work, but uh, it just struck me as a a really fascinating and mind-blowing possibility. So look forward to hearing your reactions, and I'll talk to you guys later. Bye. Hey, y'all. This is Steve in Atlanta, and I'm just calling to ask you all and listeners, uh, is everyone just discarding uh, any concerns about the circular nature of time travel and the circular logic going on? 
support it. I really believe that all this is possible and that there's actually a good explanation and that maybe Darleton has figured out how time travel really works and could work and that it does exist. I, it, it just seems uh, very impossible. It's fun to watch, but it seems impossible that, you know, the, the idea that you can't change future, it just seems like every possible thing that happens when, when losties go back in time would change so many hundreds of things, uh, so many thousands of things. I mean, if, if Kate walks across to another building, somebody sees her doing that and stops and, uh, you know, isn't hit by uh, a, a football that's being thrown in the air, and that, that could change 8 million things that would happen in the future. So, anyway, I guess I'm just wondering, does everybody – uh, is everybody just enjoying this for the ride and saying, I'm going to ignore the fact that this, this uh, circular logic is a huge problem? And if so, that's cool. Let's just enjoy the ride. Or do they really believe it's true? Thanks. Bye. Mahalo for those calls. A call from Dublin, Ireland. Alan there, um, kind of wondering why were the Oceanic Six lying then if Widmore always knew where the island was? But did he know where the island was? I mean, we know that he he sunk the plane. I, I don't have any reason to think that he knows where the island no, is. No, I mean, and he also says earlier this season that he tells Ben that you can't go back. I've tried for 20 years. Yes, he got the freighter there, but the island moved after the freighter got there. I mean, uh-huh. there's a number of reasons why, um, just despite the fact that Widmore knows the truth, that there were people left behind that were living on the island, that doesn't mean that uh, he doesn't you know, still want to get back. And in that, in that respect, it was important for them not to mention that there were people left behind. Right. I agree that's a little flimsy, but, you know, that's the structure that's the that's what we're buying into here on the show. Um, Alex in Boston saying, "Hey, you know, it's kind of revolutionary that they might try to undo everything from September twenty second, two thousand and four. What if they actually did that? Wouldn't that be cool?" Well, he thinks it'd be revolutionary. <laughs> I think I would be really disappointed. I think there'll be rioting. Although, in the you know, I say that about a lot of things, and they end up happening, and it ends up being kind of cool and interesting just because of the way they do it. I suppose. I mean, you know, it would be because there's a an entire season left maybe to have them land in LA and then realize over season six that that wasn't the right thing to do that might be kind of interesting but really if it can be possible to erase what we've just spent hundreds almost a thousand hours probably dissecting and deconstructing I think it'd be just a little too frustrating and finally Steve well basically Steve has a headache and he says (laughs) if they've gone back in time and they mess with one little thing wouldn't that they change a million things how can this not be what's happening well it's the butterfly effect you know Mm. There, there's a whole movie about this, and I think maybe that might be what they illustrate in season six, that one little tiny thing is going to end up causing everything to change. Right. If they can change the past, that could be what they're leaning toward. I think the very simple answer to Steve's question about if they went into the past and how can they not be messing with things is that... I'm sorry, whatever happened, happened. And the way things turned out, turned out the way they did because of everything we're seeing them do now. So they're not, you know, changing the past. They're just fulfilling what had already happened. And and see, now I'm getting, there's that headache again. Oh no, your nose is bleeding. I'm sorry. Let's quickly get to our next calls. Mario, Jeremy, and Jesse. Aloha, Jen Ryan. It's Mario calling from Houston, Texas. And calling to tell you about this episode of Lost, the Variable. Which, the, you know, let me get right to it. The whole idea that people are the variable with some kind of new insight. What happened to the constant being people? And you got to find your constant. Those are also people I, I don't know. I guess what I'm saying is, even though I love the episode, love Lost, I just kind of got left feeling a little shortchanged. I mean, from the beginning with the introduction with the cheesy 
fading to stars transition to the Star Trek, which I'm a huge Star Trek fan, so I mean, I love the, the movie, but do you really have to fade into that? Um, uh, ultimately, um, I think they're up to their old TV tricks again, and I don't think Daniel is dead just yet. He may eventually die, and he is a sacrifice, but, you know, Doc is in the wings waiting to come up and maybe, you know, buy him a, a few extra minutes or whatever to get some more information out. Uh, it would seem to be an abrupt and kind of ill-fated uh, into his character if that was the case. So, uh, love the podcast, and we'll listen to see what you guys think. Uh, thank you very much. Hey, Ryan and Jen. This is Jeremy from San Francisco. Uh, after two weeks, I expected a really great show, and I was kind of left hanging. I mean, the thud at the end where we realized that Daniel Faraday's father is... Um, Charles Woodmore, I don't think I was surprised by that, and I don't know that anyone else thought that that was maybe a, a major surprise. And the part where you know the writers throughout the show were putting stuff out there and then taking it away, like uh, Dan saying, I'm from the future, and Marvin Candle saying, or uh, whatever his name is, saying, no, is this true, Miles? And he's like, no. It's like, we're going to put that out there and then we're going to take it away from you. And uh, the idea that, you know, they can change the future and the plane land safely in Los Angeles, I'm not really buying that premise either, um, was really unsatisfied with last night's episode. But uh, I'm sure it'll turn around. Um, they always do. And thanks for your show. Hey there, Ryan and Jen. This is Jesse again. Long time no talk. This episode, I mean, I don't even know what to say about this episode. I, I, I like it, I think. However, I did look at those sites and saw that you were asking about uh, the numbers 141717. And I have a really good friend who is into his, uh, astrology and numerology and all those different things. And she was sitting down with me and I asked her about it. And this is what she kind of told me. And I wrote down sort of key stuff. According to her, 141717, you have to add them all up, so it's like 1 plus 4 plus 1 plus 7, and eventually that equals 21. And 2 plus 1 equals 3, and so you have to look at the number 3, apparently. So 3 is kind of like uh, moving forward of energy and overcoming duality. And she told me it's called the triad, uh, which... Means it's the beginning, middle, and end as a whole, as one unit, which I think is very cool for our story. Not sure what it means exactly, but that's kind of neat. And um, apparently, the astral or emotional body stays connected to the physical body for three days after death, according to her. So uh, that's some things to think about. Anyway, thanks again, guys. Love the podcast, and I will continue to listen as always. Keep it up. Thanks for those calls. Well, Mario from Houston and actually Jeremy from San Francisco, not entirely satisfied with this episode. Now, Mario, you know, everything from the Star Trek intro to the fact that Faraday's dead so abruptly kind of frustrated him. Well, the Star Trek thing I thought personally was kind of cool, but I really didn't <laughs> think that had anything to do with like the writers. No. I thought it was more like a promotional tool put together by ABC. So, you know, I didn't mind that. I so agree, much. except that, you know, some serious fans of Lost, and I might count myself among them, really feel that when you are willing to 
let something in the pop culture realm encroach on anything, even if it's just that opening iconic, you know, shot of the logo coming Uh at you, then what else is sacred? I mean, I can see how that could be frustrating. Um, He doesn't think that Faraday is dead either. I mean, you've got Jack right there. And yes, he's with the others. So maybe Faraday has has a a few more minutes of life left. Um, Jeremy uh, saying that he also thought that he was kind of left hanging, that that really the writers are playing with us. They're giving us things that could be tantalizing and then yanking them away. I kind of have to agree with him a little bit on that. (laughs) Well, still, I mean, you know, he also says that they're going to pull it out in the end. And so far, I would say we probably have the same faith. Yeah, of course. And finally, Jesse with, uh, you know, we haven't heard from him in a while. And uh, he had uh, his his friend, the numerologist, who gives us the number three and all kinds of reasons why 141717 might be significant. We also got some other comments like uh, Stephen and Bathurst. He wrote that that could be a date, either January 4th or April 1st, uh, 1717. And that could be a BlackRock thing. Well, absolutely. I think the BlackRock probably did crash on the island in about that time period. So that would be that would be really great. Yes, if, especially if the people on the island know about that. Tim in DC also writes that Daniel counted 864 clicks of the metronome. 800, 864 is 108 times 8. Mm-hmm. And that is also multiples of 4, 8, and 16. Well, there you go. There's never a number in this show that's uh, not significant, I suppose. Well, we love all of your calls on the Lost Line. Even though we can't include them all, we listen to them all. Now let's get to our blog comments and emails. Dara from Annapolis writes, This was a top three favorite episode for me. I love Dan's character so much. For a guy with so many complex thoughts running through his head like a mouse in a maze, his motivation seems simple. Make his mother proud, protect his friends, try to change the future. The start of this episode made me worry that maybe the past can be changed, but it looks like the more our losties try to change the future, the more they ensure that things go exactly according to plan. I agree and uh, definitely like the episode. However, Mark in Omaha writes, Unfortunately for me, this was the worst episode of the season and in my bottom 10 of all time. Bad acting and poor scene sunk it for me. While I like the actor who plays Daniel, I really thought the crying, sniffling, sad act was horrendous. The flashbacks on Daniel's life seemed disjointed and unconvincing, particularly his relationship with his mother, which lacked any chemistry or familial bond. And the shootout with Rodzinski and his men was awful. And by awful, I mean standard TV show fare, which bothers me because I'm so used to Lost being anything but standard TV fare. Yeah, I did think the shootout was a little cheesy, especially the barrel blowing up part. <laughs> but, uh, and you know, maybe they explained the coldness with his relationship with his mom, though, given the, the conflict that she had going on inside. Well, not a fan there, but Jennifer writes, it's Jennifer, former hater of season five. Lost has redeemed itself. I thought this episode was fantastic. It has all the components of the Lost I love. Mystery and wonder, questions answered, but mind-tossing, thought-provoking questions left for later analysis. Great writing with attention to the characters we have come to know. I'm left this morning wanting to dissect this episode and its every detail. But what I keep coming back to is, this episode might have been titled The Variable, but its core message is that no matter what the variable, everything remains constant. So a big fan there in Jennifer, who didn't like uh, the season so far, definitely sold here. And, uh, you know, as far as dissecting it later, if there's anything this episode has done, has given folks a lot to talk about. However, Bill thinks, I thought this season started like a great roller coaster. 
coaster. But currently, I feel there's too many characters and the stories are too spread out and complicated. In typical Lost style, Chang tells maintenance workers the orchid holds the power for time travel. And when Daniel tells him he's from the future, Chang cops an attitude like, you're full of it. Give me a break. There was some good information presented, but what's for me was the worst episode of the season. So not a fan there. And actually, he raises a good point. Uh, we just see uh, Dr. Chang say that this can manipulate time and the construction worker says, what does he think we are, nuts? Uh-huh. So how can he be surprised if somebody shows up at that point and says, I'm from the future? Yeah. In fact, yeah. If, if you believe that time travel is going to happen, you're probably the day you discover time travel is the first place that someone who time travels exactly. would come to visit. Yeah. Excellent, excellent thought. Well, uh, the next few comments we'll just read straight through because it touches on the controversial topic of that Comic-Con video. Tony writes... Here's why it doesn't seem that Daniel can be dead. In the most recent Comic-Con video, Pierre Chang is warning the viewers about the impending disaster, and Daniel is heard operating the camera. Last night, Chang did not believe Daniel yet about what was going to happen. So doesn't Daniel still have to be alive to be operating the camera in that clip? Well, that could be one uh, way to say why he's not dead. Another explanation comes from Scott in Chicago, who says, Could Daniel have gone to Dr. Chang before visiting the meeting at Sawyer's? Well, how could he have convinced Chang of the crazy ideas of the internet, George W. Bush being president, and the most shocking thing, that he's going to die in only a few hours? In the episode tonight, when Chang asks Miles if it's true that he's his son and Miles refutes the claim, Chang thinks Daniel is nuts. How could this change so quickly? Nels writes, what if Dan has traveled back into the time multiple times and perhaps this is his last trek back? He said that this is their present and that he and the others can die in the present. So what if the video shown at Comic-Con was indeed Dan making that video as a backup plan in case he failed further in the past to stop the incident? And if that is the case, then what if the 2007 people, Brahm and Alana, actually have the machine created by Dan to get them, Jack, Kate, Sawyer, Juliet, Hurley, and maybe Miles to the future? food for thought at least that's one another possible way to explain it but i think it's going to come down to megan massa who writes I think at this point, the Comic-Con video is completely non-canon. He's talking to what seems to be Faraday and a man he calls Lafleur, but at this point, one is dead and the other is in serious trouble. I don't think Chang would have them film a video of him in his house. I think the Comic-Con video was more of a promo than a preview. So, well, very quickly on what's your take on that Comic-Con video? I think it's totally canon, but really? I, don't think, I don't think it's Faraday. I think we're supposed to think it's Faraday, but we don't really have any evidence that it's him. And what about Lafleur? Why is Lafleur there? See, I've read, I've heard, I've read that that it's some that he says Lafleur, and I've gone back and watched it. I don't think he says Lafleur. No, I this kind of goes it. back to people who think that it was Sawyer operating the camera at the beginning of season five. And <laughs> no, it's just just a guy with shaggy blonde hair. In any case, uh, I you know it's we talked a lot about the Comic Con video and sense because it was part of our theory that it's going to be the reconstituted Dharma initiative of the present that's going back. That that's what Ilana and Brahm are. So if that's not what this is, I mean, you know, again, things that happen outside of the show, you never know where you're going to put it. Moving on to the question of erasing everything. Jen from Illinois sends in an email. Why would Jack and Kate want to blow the bomb and therefore keep the plane from crashing to begin with? They've grown so much as people. I don't see why they'd want to change the future. What would they gain? Jack would still have a dead father and no wife. Kate would be going to jail. Charlie would be alive but would still be a drug addict. Locke would be paralyzed. Rose would die of cancer. Jin would still be a jerk. I mean, they have more to lose than gain. Why change anything? 
That's true. I, I agree. Absolutely. And Connie in Alaska and Marco on the blog had similar thoughts. Luke writes, there's an ethical element to what Daniel and now Jack is trying to do. Sci-fi author Simon Hawk says, if someone is born in your time and you go into the past and prevent their birth, you effectively murder them. How does this apply to Lost? Think about baby Charlie. If Jack succeeds with Daniel's plan, then Desmond's baby will cease to exist. Aaron will too, or at least he will revert back to his pre-birth state. This plus the fact that before the crash everyone was screwed up makes me believe that there's no real upside to this plan i'm hoping the writers give us something else to root for because frankly i think everyone is at least a little better off because of the events in the show not fully redeemed obviously but at least we're screwed up in different ways now plus we've all got great tans and can start a fire without matches gotta say i mean we're definitely with you i mean why would we see our characters change and grow as much as they have if we go back and all of that didn't happen so um several several good points painter girl writes on the blog i believe that Jack and Kate will go through with Daniel's plan because they always went through with Daniel's plan. Obviously, Daniel going to see Eloise and consequently getting shot by her always happened. You could tell by her acting throughout the episode. Whatever happened, happened is still the truth, and perhaps this, this nuclear detonation is the incident. And I, again, I think that's probably where they're going to go. Brian writes on the blog, it's clear that when Desmond turned the key to explode the hatch, he set off Jughead. Hmm. This completing Dan's plan, but there has to be a bigger picture. We need to get out of that 70s show and get to Locke and Son to find out. And that will happen in the season finale right before the final thud. Well, that's an interesting thought that uh, the big flash that we saw was Jughead going off. Wouldn't you think a, a hydrogen bomb going off would be a little bit more than a, a, a light show in it the would, sky? Yeah, it would be a little bit more cat- cataclysmic than that, I think. I mean, I don't know how much concrete you had to put around it. I guess that could explain why the, 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 the hatch was blown out into a crater, but really... I think that Jughead's going to play a big part in the season finale, whether it blows or doesn't blow. And basically, I don't think that Jughead sticks around to be set off in 2004. No, I doubt it. Popoki Girl writes, What if Mrs. Hawking is not Faraday's mother? I feel that Hawking's attitude toward Penny was far more sensitive and warm than her attitude toward Faraday. Here's the thing. There are lots of parallels on the show. Ben raised Alex as his own. Kate raised Aaron as her own. Locke was raised by foster parents. Wouldn't it be impossible to add Daniel to that list? Is Hawking visited by Daniel's biological mother, as Kate was, with messages about what needed to happen? Does she raise Daniel knowing that he needs to believe that she is his mother? Does she raise him because she tells her in 1977 that she is his mother? That's an interesting theory. What do you think? It wouldn't it wouldn't be the weirdest thing ever to happen. No. And I mean, you certainly have, again, other characters that think that they have their mothers or are raised by people who aren't their mothers. And uh, but as far as explaining, again, you know, her coldness toward Faraday, there's a number of ways to read that, whether it's poor acting or she was just really tortured about what was to become of him. I think it's the latter. It's certainly a good thought. Now, Mark B has another question. Is baby Charlie still waiting with that nurse? I mean, was anyone else screaming? No at the TV when the doctor said to Penny, come with me and this nurse will watch your son? I expected to see Hawking walking hand in hand with him out of the hospital. Now, I suspect Widmore has taken him. One way or another, I still think Desmond will go back to the island. Yeah, Desmond will absolutely go back to the island. Yeah, the island's not done with him. He says he's not going to leave her, but the island's not done with him. And that whole thing about, you know, this this person will watch your kid, that that did seem really out of place. I I wouldn't have done it, but then again, I'm not Penny. Yeah, someone posted on the blog, well, maybe, you know, she's like Kate. He thinks it's okay to leave a kid by themselves so um mm, some interesting judgments there but uh what whatever it is that brings uh, desmond back to the island i think it might as well be unfortunately something happening to little charlie 
John F. writes on the blog, during the episode, they paused on an issue of Wired magazine. This issue was from August 2003, and the magazine is featured in an article called A User's Guide to Time Travel. The article is worth a read and gives some theories on time travel and parallel universes. Well, there you go. Usually nothing in an episode is without reason. And I thought that was kind of a, you know, I thought it was just kind of cool that Faraday reads Wired, but it's a specific <laughs> issue of Wired. So that was pretty cool. We should also mention as far as possible Easter eggs that Heath from the Lost Revisited podcast podcast pointed out that the orchid worker who tells Daniel to put on a hard hat is the same person that uh, is part of the others team when they go in and get uh, ambushed by Jin, Saeed, and Bernard in season three. It's probably just recycled actors. It's definitely recycled actors. I mean, very recently we've had the person who was the ticket agent was another character you uh-huh. know, coming up again. And, uh, if, and a good friend of mine has been everything from the dead body that that Kate steals the shoe from to an OR nurse in the OR when Jack is com- doing surgery in Los Angeles to the maid who cleans out uh, the the hotel room before Kate goes in and changes her hair color. Oh, so, yeah. Again, there are some faces you're going to recognize that are actually probably not meaningful in any way. Well, this was definitely an episode with a lot to talk about, and we've gone well over our hour. We really appreciate all your emails, comments, and calls. So please, after the next new episode, the second to the last episode of Lost Season 5, please share your thoughts and theories. Email us at lost at hawaiiup.com. Comment on the blog at hawaiiup.com slash lost or call the lost line at 808-356-0127. And once again, if you'd like to follow us on Twitter, my handle is Hawaii, the name of the state, and your Twitter handle? Kilinahe, K-I-L-I-N-A-H-E. Now, we're not a lost-only Twitterer couple, so if you don't want to know the ins and outs of our everyday life here on the island, it might be too much for you, but uh, it's been great to connect with a lot of you on that service and have conversations, sometimes as the episode is airing. Well, that's it for you all, everybody, so now it's time to step briefly into the Forward Cabin. This is where we hide production news, previews, rumors, and spoilers, and all kinds of fun stuff, so if you don't want to know, you might want to skip ahead. Welcome to the Forward Cabin, the forward-looking part of the transmission, and it's a short one this week. First, what is coming up next week? What did the ABC announcer say is coming up next week on Lost? Jack says, if we do what's written in this journal, our plane never crashes, Flight 815 lands in Los Angeles, all the misery that we've been through, none of this will have happened. Dr. Chang says, we need to evacuate the island. Juliet says, I love you. And Sawyer says, I love you back. Uh, Jack <laughs> swims into the temple and we see him inside with Saeed. Saeed. Sun looks at her wedding ring. Locke says, if there's a way to save our people, I'll find it. Jack says, this is our cha- chance to change things. Kate says, you're wrong. Everyone dies. According to the narrator, next Wednesday to change their future, they must erase the past. Well, uh, that's episode 515. The name of the episode is Follow the Leader. It'll air on May 6th at ABC's official synopsis is Jack and Kate find themselves at odds over the direction to take to save their fellow island survivors. Locke further solidifies his stance as leader of the others and Sawyer and Juliet come under scrutiny from the Dharma Initiative. Well that sounds like a pretty big episode but of course it only leads us right up to the season finale. Yes May 13th it's entitled The Incident. It runs two hours. The synopsis reads Jack wants to set things right on the island but is met with strong resistance by those close to him. 
him, and Locke assigns Ben a difficult task. Actually, that uh, last day of Lost is actually a three-hour day of Lost because Yay! before the two-hour season finale, episode 16 and 17, is in fact going to be another one of their fantastic clip shows. Oh. <laughs> but you know, if, it's, uh, if it helps make an entire evening of Lost, I'll certainly take it. Maybe it'll be more interesting than the last one. I'll hope along with you. Well, yes, there's not much in the forward cabin because there's not much of season five to look forward to. But I guess we should still remind you that we do have plans for after the end of season five. We're going to take a long break before Comic-Con uh-huh. in July, and we'll be reporting to you from there. And after that, after another short break, we're going to begin recapping season three of Lost. So all is not lost and... Uh, there's more to come. That's it for the Forward Cabin, though, and that means that's it for this episode of The Transmission. We'll be back next week for the next new episode of Lost on May 6th. It will be called Follow the Leader. Now, remember, The Transmission is powered by you, so please comment, call, or email. Comment on the blog at hawaiiapp.com slash lost. Call us at 808-356-0127 or email us at lost at hawaiiapp.com. Remember that the transmission is available in both MP3 and enhanced AAC formats. That brings you chapter marks that you can skip around if you like. All right, folks, thank you very much for listening. Stay lost, everybody. Aloha. Aloha. This podcast is a proud member of the Lost Podcasting Network. Get all your favorite Lost podcasts in one feed at lostcasts.blogspot.com.